0: Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, WOLC.com. Thank you. Good morning, Quarantine Sunday number 11. We'll have one more, so I guess it'll be an even dozen. But then you just heard Megan tell you that we're going to begin to gather here in the sanctuary of Word of Life Church in two weeks on uh, June 14th. I say begin because it won't, you know, be exactly the same. Yeah, social distancing, every other pew, you know, blocked off, no children's ministry, things like that. And for those that aren't ready, aren't comfortable, or it wouldn't be prudent to gather, uh, know that we're going to continue to uh, stress the online gathering as well. So it's going to be a hybrid thing. We're going to be gathering in person, but also continuing to do what we're doing online. All right, my text for today's sermon comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power at work within us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. My sermon today is entitled, The Eternal Church. Seven Sundays after Easter, that's today, is Pentecost Sunday. And so now we are entering into ordinary time. And it'll be six months before we arrive at Advent. But on Pentecost Sunday, we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we remember the birth of the church. Jesus had taken his disciples up into the Golan Heights, north of the Sea of Galilee. He was in the region of Caesarea Philippi. This is a town that had been known in the Old Testament as Baal Gad. It was a place of pagan worship. The Baals were worshiped in the Old Testament. In the first century, its name was changed to Caesarea Philippi, named after Augustus Caesar and Philip the Tetrarch. It had a shrine to the Greek god Pan there that was well known, but most significant was this cave, and I've seen this cave. A cave that was known as the Gates of Hades, or the Gates of Hell, or the Gates of Death, and it was believed that this was a point from which the powers of darkness came forth into the earth the gates of Hades. And so this is a very significant place, and now it's a Roman city. And so Caesarea Philippi, formerly Baal Gad, a shrine of Pad, the gates of of Hades, it represents idolatry, death, empire. It's no accident that Jesus goes into that region and then asks, who do people say that I am? And they say, well... Some say Jeremiah, some Elijah, some John the Baptist, some one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? And Simon spoke up and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. It was a revelation. It wasn't something he figured out. The Father had revealed to Simon that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon, this revelation is so significant, so transforming, so powerful that it's going to change your identity. Now that it's been revealed to you who I really am, you're going to have a new identity. I'm going to give you a new name. I say that you are Petros. You are Peter. You are Rock. You are Rocky. I'm going to call you Rocky. And then Jesus says, upon this rock, this Petra, this bedrock, upon this rock I will build my church. There it is. The first time in the Bible that the church, Is introduced. Upon this rock, this this rock of revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades. He's taken them where the gates of Hades are known, a place that symbolizes the powers of darkness coming into the earth. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So the church was born on the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after the death. And resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it was conceived. By the gates of hell. in Caesarea Philippi. When Jesus said upon the rock of revelation. And confession of who I am. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So my sermon this morning. Is entitled the eternal church. Why do I say that the church is eternal. Because it's Jesus church. And not ours. He calls it my church. He's going to build my church, he says. So it's his church. And you know what? What belongs to Jesus, you can't snatch out of his hand. That's what Jesus says. Those that are mine, they're in my hand, and nobody, nobody, not the gates of hell, nobody, not the powers of darkness, nobody's going to snatch them out of my hand. The church is eternal because Jesus is the one building his church upon this rock Of revelation, of who I am. I will build, I will build, I will build. Who's building the church? Jesus is building the church. And guess what? Jesus doesn't fail at what he does. If Jesus says, I'm going to build it, it's going to be well built, it's going to endure, it's not going to collapse and disappear. The church is eternal because the church will outlive death. And the gates of death, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. If you outlive death, that's one way of understanding the eternal. This church or that church may come and go with the tides of time. But the church built upon the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit, will outlast the gates of death from generation to generation. Amen and amen. Yes, I know that much of the time the church is a mess. (laughs) I'm aware of that. Uh, But it's always been that way. It's not something that has suddenly come upon us. There's never been a golden age. It isn't isn't that that the church was once pristine and perfect and and then something foul has come upon us. No. The church has always been a mess primarily because the building material that the builder has to work with are living stones who are sinners. (laughs) If... You know, what? when it comes to the church, you'll find what you're looking for. If you're looking for hypocrisy, you'll find it. But if you're looking for people actually trying to find Jesus, you'll find that too. But the reason that sometimes the church looks like such a mess is that the building material the builder has to work with is living stones. I mean, just think about that. You're trying to build something and the stones, you know, don't always want to cooperate. Say, I want to be over here. I don't even want to be in this building. They run off. I mean, try to build something like that. That's what that's the task that faces Jesus. He's building with living stones who are sinners. That's me, that's you, that's everyone. Because the church is not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. So, yeah, I know the church often looks like a mess, but there's never been a time when it was otherwise. There's never been a golden age of the church, not the church in Jerusalem born on the day of Pentecost, the very first church. By the time you get to chapter 6, there's problems in the church. And there's division between the, the Greek-speaking believers and the Hebrew-speaking believers, and they have to work on that problem. There's other problems that pop up throughout the book of Acts. There was never a golden age, not in the New Testament church. I mean, in fact, Paul's letters are mostly occasioned by the problems he was forced to address in these churches that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Not the early church with its all, with its battles and its heresies and its struggles. There's never been a golden age of the church. And I don't know, I kind of find some strange comfort in that. The church endures, though. Even though it's not perfect, it endures, not because of us, but because it's built by Jesus and sustained by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Jesus introduces the church at Caesarea Philippi. But seven weeks after his resurrection, the church is born. And they were all together in one place when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And suddenly there came from the heavens the sound of a violent wind. And it filled that upper room where they had gathered And there appeared over the heads of each one of them flickering flames of fire, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now when this sound occurred, people from Jerusalem began to gather, and they were amazed. We're told because it was at the festival of Pentecost there were people from every nation Under heaven, and it lists more than a dozen ethnicities that were present. But when they gathered because of the sound they heard, they were all amazed. Because they said, wait a minute, these are all Galileans. And yet we each one hear them speaking fluently in our mother tongues. And they are speaking of the mighty deeds of God. From the very beginning, from the first moment of the church. From the very minute that the church was born, it was global. It was destined to be that which transcends ethnicity. It was for every race and tribe and tongue and kindred from the very beginning. So I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. You understand, right? Catholic, you understand what that word means. I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic Church, but I'm fine with that one too. But I'm talking about the Holy Catholic Church, meaning universal Catholic meaning all-embracing. Catholic meaning global. So that's why I don't like a flag in a church. Either you put up all the flags in the church, or you don't put up any. I, I think I would vote for not any. Why? Because we belong to the eternal empire over which waves the banner of Christ. Amen and amen. Now, in the book of Ephesians... Paul tells us that the church is a witness to the principalities and powers to the rulers and authorities of this age. That's what he tells us in chapter 3 verse 10 of Ephesians, the apostle Paul, the book of Ephesians is his whole is his epistle where he emphasizes the importance, the significance of the church. And he says that one of the vocations, one of the missions, one of the purposes of the church is to be a witness to the other power structures in the world. The principalities and powers. The very rich, the very powerful, and all of their institutions that they represent. The ruling authorities. The church is to be a witness to these principalities and powers, these authorities and rulers, about the power of Christ. And they are the churches to demonstrate to the principalities and powers uh, that Christ accomplishes what they never can, what they promise but cannot. And what is that? Well, it's to sum it up. Paul uses the word peace, but he's probably thinking as a, as a Jew, he's probably thinking shalom, and that is human flourishing for all people. See, the principalities and powers the rulers and the authorities of this age, this age that is fading away, this age that is passing away, this age that is eclipsed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the rulers and authorities gain their power by saying, we're going to have power for us against them. We're going to be great greater than them. We're going to, no, in the kingdom of Christ, the idea is that shalom, health, prosperity and peace, total well-being, human flourishing comes to all all ethnicities, all language, all tribes, all tongues, all kindreds. Paul says that Christ is, for those of us who believe, for the community of the baptized, that Christ himself is our shalom, is our peace, is our well-being, and that in Christ we become, listen to his his phrase, this is in chapter 2, verse 15, we become one new humanity. Christ has given us an entirely new way of being human. And the community of the baptized, which is one description of what the church is. The community of the baptized is a new humanity in Christ. In this new humanity, in this new humanity, the apostle Paul says in chapter 2 verse 14 that the dividing barriers that create hostility are torn down. This is to be one of the characteristics of the church. That outside the church, in the age that is passing away, governed by the rulers and authorities and principalities and powers, there are set in place the barriers that divide us one from another and create hostility. But the Apostle Paul says, in the new humanity that is the church, that is all to be torn down. That is, to be removed. So that in Galatians, the Apostle Paul, continuing with that same theme, says that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither Greek nor barbarian. There's neither slave nor free. He goes on and he says, because we are all one in Christ. So in the church, our dignity, our significance... The degree to which we matter is not conferred by status or race or nationality or gender, but it comes from Christ himself. Because in the church, those who through faith and baptism have united themselves with Christ are to be viewed as the body of Christ. And our our dignity is given to us by Christ himself. Thus, the church, because it's to, it's designed from the moment it was born, it was it was indicated that this is global. It's not regional. It's not local. It's not it's not characterized by a particular ethnicity or a class, any of that. The church is to be truly global, and because of that, the church must be. Hear me now. The church must be. The church must be a model of reconciliation. Not the cheap reconciliation of empty platitudes maintaining the status quo, but the deep reconciliation grounded in justice, mercy, and humility. Because he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So, for example... The church living in the context of the United States of America must acknowledge that we live in an empire corrupted by its two original sins. Stolen land and slave labor. And those sins were not atoned for by reservations in the Civil War. No. A church that is faithful to Christ and dares to be a prophetic witness to the principalities and powers must be a voice of advocacy for Native Americans and African Americans. We must. It's not optional. By the way, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of advocacy. The unholy spirit, the spirit of the Satan, is the spirit of accusation. But the Holy Spirit that we are to be filled with is the spirit of advocacy. So we are to find those that need the advocate, that need the voice, that need the support, that need the encouragement, that need a voice of justice to be raised on their behalf, and we are to speak on their behalf. So the church, in the American context of the early 21st century, must be a voice of advocacy, for Native Americans and African Americans. And the church that gives cover to racism is not the eternal church. In fact, it's not the church at all. But there is an eternal church. As the Apostle Paul says, "...now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power at work within us, unto him be glory in the church..." by Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Why do I call it the eternal church? Because the Apostle Paul says that the church will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Now, this eternal church is scattered throughout the world and across many and varied denominations this eternal church is not perfect but it is present it's not sinless but it is sustained by the Holy Spirit this is the church that carries the hope of the world and that is the good news of Jesus Christ the church is at its best when it doesn't talk too much about itself. All right, today's Pentecost Sunday, so that's a church to talk about the Holy Spirit and to talk about the church that was born on the day of Pentecost. So today I'm talking about the church. But I'm just going to tell you, the church in general is not at its best when it talks too much about itself. When the church, and I'm talking about the whole spectrum Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Anglican Communion, Protestant, Anabaptist, Evangelical, Pentecostal, Charismatic, when when any of those particular branches of the church talks too much about itself, it becomes defensive and arrogant and often quite insufferable. Our mission is not to talk about ourselves. The church is at its best when it just gets on with its business of talking about Jesus. That's what we're to talk about. That's what we're to emphasize. That's the good news we have. The church may be messed up and flawed and imperfect, but we still got the Jesus card. (laughs) And my advice to churches and pastors and Christians and leaders is play the Jesus card every chance you get. Talk about Jesus, because that's the best thing we have, and that is our mission, to simply tell the story of Jesus. And as simple as it sounds, all the best churches, whether they meet in cathedrals or storefronts, whether they gather in basilicas or in somebody's basement, all of the best churches are Jesus-focused churches. I really mean that. I really believe that. I don't care what denomination a church is. It really, That doesn't mean any, anything to me anymore. I don't advocate for any one against the other. I love the entire expression of the body of Christ. But if you're talking on a local level, all of the best churches, whether it's Orthodox or Catholic or Pentecostal or whatever, all of the best churches are the churches that are Jesus-focused very deliberately, very intentionally. That's their emphasis. That's what they talk about. That's what they stress. All of the best churches are Jesus-focused churches. On the day of Pentecost... Peter didn't talk about the church. The church was going to be born that day. The church was coming into existence, but he didn't ever mention it. He didn't talk about it. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit to talk about Jesus. And he did. And 3,000 people believed, and the church was born. And that remains to this day our pattern. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and talk about Jesus. And because we love Jesus, we love the church. It's as simple as that. Jesus says, it's what I'm building. It's my church. Paul will say, Jesus is so connected to the church, it's like, it's, it's, it's like his bride. Right? It's like his bride. Because we love Jesus, we love the church. And we really miss gathering together. I know I do. The last time that Perry and I, she's right here on the front row, the last time Perry and I gathered in person with the congregation of Word of Life Church was March 1st. That's 13 weeks ago. Now, that was a great Sunday. It was a baptism Sunday, and I baptized my oldest grandchild, Jude There's a picture of him in my study right after he'd been baptized. And I believe in that. Because why? Because the church is under the glory of God from generation to generation. From fathers to sons to grandsons, from mothers to daughters to granddaughters. The task of the church is to talk about Jesus and to pass on the faith from generation to generation, forever and ever. And so the last time, that I gathered in this building other than with our tiny, tiny skeleton crew to produce an online service. I mean, when it, where it's really a gathering. The last time was March 1st, 13 weeks ago, but it was a good Sunday I baptized Jude. The last time Perry and I gathered in person in any church, anywhere, was March 8th, the following week. And that was 12 weeks ago. So for 12 weeks, I haven't gathered in worship with other believers in 12 weeks. Now, in my 61 years, this is the truth. You may not believe this. This is true, though. In my 61 years, I've never gone two weeks without being in some gathering of the saints. I mean, they took me to church, you know, the week I was born and every week thereafter. And then I had my own encounter with Jesus as a teenager. And I've never gone more than two. I mean, I've missed one here and there. A few, a handful over six decades. But now I've gone 12 weeks without gathering. I remember the last time that we, we gathered, it was in Tiberias, Israel. Perry and I had gone a week ahead of our pilgrims and we were renting a little cottage in, in Migdal. That's the, that's the village of Mary Magdala. And we were right there on the Sea of Galilee in the north part of the Sea of Galilee. And we were just spending a week there reading, praying, hiking, resting, just, you know, just a wonderful time, actually, preparing for our pilgrims to join us and all of that. And the Sunday was coming, and I said, oh, we got to find a church, you know, because that's how we are. That's how we are, you know. We got to find some saints to gather with, and we, we, we would prefer, you know, we'll, we'll go to churches that don't speak English if that's, if that's, you know, the option we have. But we said, maybe we can find an English-speaking congregation because, you know, we kind of roll with that a little better. And so we made inquiries. And I think it was our friend Mercy Aiken, who lives in Bethlehem, who said, Yeah, she directed us to a church of Scotland named St. Andrew's Church in Tiberias. That's the big city on the Sea of Galilee, south of about 10 minutes from where we were staying. And uh, pastored by Reverend Kate McDonald. You know, if, you're, if you belong to the Church of Scotland, you want your pastor to be named McDonald. <laughs> And so this is a church of Church of Scotland, English-speaking congregation, and right there, right there on the Sea of Galilee. So we said, okay, we'll go worship there at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. So we got in our car and we drove into Tiberias. We had the address and we were looking and we were looking and we just could not find this place. And we kept walking back and forth, and we thought we knew we were close, you know, we're using the GPS, but we still we can't actually find the building where they're gathering. And we kept walking back and forth and back and forth, searching, being kind of frustrated. And there was, some, there was some older Palestinian men just sitting out in front of a little shop drinking coffee. And they finally they noticed us, you know, and they, they said to us, you know, can, are you looking for something? Yes, they were, there's supposed to be a church around here. And they said, oh yeah, and they, they showed us where to go. And so we were following their directions and we came across another group of, of uh, English-speaking people. I don't remember where were they, what country were they from? Do you remember, Perry? Hmm. Hmm? Germany, maybe? Yeah, there were, there were some people that spoke English that were looking the same place we were looking for. And we found it, kind of just a little tucked away, obscure little building that if you didn't know what you are looking for, you would hardly find it. Uh, but we went in, and it's just a tiny little building, you know. Uh, and, and there, there was, there's, there, yeah, there's the outside of it. That's uh, When we finally found it, oh, there it is, okay. And so we went in, and they, see, it's just a little tiny place. There probably wasn't more than a dozen of us. And it was the kind of thing where, you know, uh, the, the service was actually sort of organized as we arrived. Now, now, Kate McDonald, the pastor, she had her sermon ready, but, you know, she didn't know who's going to show up, and so she's just organizing the service right there. They're handing out the prayer books and hymnals and all those sorts of things, and then she's getting together people. She says, well, I need, I, I, I need someone to read the Scripture. I said, well, I think I could do that. And so I did the scripture reading. It was from the book of Romans. Somebody else read the gospel. And, uh, then, and, then sh- and then Kate McDonald preached her sermon. And the gospel reading for Sunday, March 8th this year was John 3, 1 through 17. And so we heard about Jesus. And we heard about how God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. And he didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That was the last time that we gathered in person, with people, in Christian worship in a church, 12 weeks ago. It was simple, in many ways it was unimpressive, but it was also beautiful. I miss it, but we'll be back, because unto God be glory by Christ Jesus in the church throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen.